Welcome to my neighborhood. I've been living in Geneva for about 25 years, and I've realized, and I've heard this quote from a staff person at Chapel Street, serving is the new currency in the kingdom of God. So often we think of serving as something that is big. You have to sign up for it. It's a program. More often than not, it's doing the little things. It's seeing a need and meeting it. And it's not that difficult. There are opportunities like that in our neighborhoods all over the place. Chapel Street exists for the community and for the gospel. And it's why we've put together the Neighborhood Serve 2022. We've collaborated with our community and identified 14 relationships that are really special in and around our four campuses. So these are places where you can join with Chapel Street and our special partners to make an impact for where you are. When you do that, it's those serving opportunities that begin to change our hearts. I'm admittedly a selfish person, yet Jesus' words tell us that he came to serve rather than be served. So that influences my life. I want to be more like Jesus. I want Chapel Street's people to join me in being more like Jesus. So we serve. We do it together. We have a lot of fun while we do it. And that's why we created Neighborhood Serve 2022, an opportunity for you and me to make an impact for where we are in our communities, with our partners, and with our neighbors. So at the end of the day, why do we do Neighborhood Serve? We do it to make an impact in our community, but our greatest desire is to see each person that calls Chapel Street their church to be transformed from the inside out by the work of the Holy Spirit because serving changes lives. Join us in this process of being transformed by Jesus. Well, I am excited for Neighborhood Serve. I'm excited to, um, to work alongside and with all of you. I'm excited because I love our neighbors. Uh, Marklin, who is our immediate neighbor who serves adults uh, with severe um, disabilities. Um, we've had an ongoing relationship with them for, for years now, and their summer baseball program is just one way that, that you can get involved. And we, there's two dates in July that we've got for that, we'd love to have you participate in that with us. Those little QR codes on the back of your seats um, is, is a way you can sign up. It's on our website as well. You can go there, get a part of that on July 15th. So every Friday, you may not know this, every Friday the Mill Creek campus is just um, crawling with men, women, and children who are coming in to uh, work on their English as a second language, uh, many of whom are refugee families, um, they're getting uh, accustomed to the area and learning and growing and building relationships and it's beautiful. I had the opportunity to be here on Friday and share a few things and it's just, it's, it's so good and you would love it. On the 15th, um, for the 150 to 200 who are here on Fridays, we're going to make lunch. Uh, we're going to grill out and we're going to eat with them and get to know them. And, and so if you can help cook and shop or set up tables or take down chairs, if you could take that Friday afternoon to help us serve in that way here with uh, the ESL ministry. Am I saying that right? ESL. Yeah, last week I think I said ELS, didn't I? That's something else, I think. But um, we would love to have your help. So 
uh, Marklin. Um, yeah, so we're going to do a prayer walk in the community. I'm excited about that. That's something we used to do when, when we were opening up this campus. And it's kind of like those things that sort of like you get going in the busyness of ministry and some of those things get set aside and, and, and we need to revisit that and do that again. So, um, and then there's opportunities in your neighborhood, uh, in your home, there's opportunities for Chapel Street as a whole. We would love to have you in, involved. Um, and before we jump into the sermon this morning, I had a number of people reach out and just ask about um, our position as it relates to the Supreme Court ruling and what's going on in our culture and our society. And many of you know, probably my approach to things is I don't often react instantly to the things happening in our culture and society because I, I like to think through and understand things. And and yet, because we've had so many people ask, I wanted to just simply say that we as a church, um, throughout our history, we have always been pro-life in the gospel sense of that word. By that, I mean it's not, it's not merely a, a political issue for us. Um, we have and we will continue. Whoo! That's it. I got strobe lights for this. Apparently, yeah, this is... Um, so in many ways as it relates to who we are and what we're doing, we're going to do the same things we've always done. We're going to continue to support ministries like the Caring Network, uh, ministries that come alongside of women in unexpected pregnancies and walk with them and meet basic needs and provide uh, spiritual support. We're going to continue to offer um, Embrace Grace groups here at the church for women who are uh, experiencing unexpected pregnancy. When we try to think about these things from a kingdom perspective, right? And we have to come at it with an awareness and the understanding that, one, that God created every man, woman, and child with his image. We bear his image, and they have intrinsic value and worth. We have to come at it with an understanding that values women and, and children equally. We have to enter into the complexity and the care that's required in that. And so now, I think, perhaps more than ever, we as Christians need to live this out, like our, our our society is watching how we respond. That includes, by the way, I think how we talk to each other and treat each other, um, particularly in very public forums, to do so with respect and, and questions and seeking to understand that's all valuable and important, but there is a, there's an appropriate way to do that. Um, and so we want to be pro-life from in every sense of the word for every person. That's, that's our goal. And we're trying to grow in that. We don't do it perfectly, um, but we do want to grow in that. And so um, I just wanted to say that. I wanted to remind us of that. And, and, and really, it's, it's about his kingdom. It's about how do we represent his kingdom in this world. That's what we're trying to do. So let's pray together. We'll open up God's word together, uh, and we'll continue to learn from him. Father, we do just, Lord, you taught us to pray. You taught us to pray that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done. And Lord, we want to do that well. We want to represent you well. We want to care well. For every man, woman, child, born or unborn, Lord, we, want, we acknowledge and recognize the value and dignity that you place on them. Don't let us, Lord, lose sight of who you are and what you've called us to holistically. And help us to represent your kingdom. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. I wonder if you've ever been in a situation or a scenario where you feel like God is 
is prompting you to do something or say something that you would really rather not do or say. Like, have you ever found yourself, you're like, yes, every day when I go to work, like, it's, it, I was, uh, I mentioned earlier, um, not last week, but the week before, I was with our high school students up in the Twin Cities uh, um, on their uh, short-term mission trip, service trip up there, and loved it, loved the experience of it, loved learning with these kids, and we were a part of this ministry called uh, God Town, where God had called this couple, um, um, John and Gentolo, to just move into this community and be kind of a tangible representation of the gospel. So they live there, they've set up this ministry there, and they do this exercise with the students. And I'd heard about this from last year's trip, but I'd never been a part of it myself. They call it a, a treasure hunt. And um, what they do is they just ask, they create time and space where you just listen for the Holy Spirit. They give you a piece of paper and reminding us, like, God created our imaginations. He, he can use those. And so um, you're just listening and writing down things that God might bring to mind for you, specifically like a person or a description or a name, something like that. I don't, I don't know what's wrong with me. I, I, I went into this like kind of knowing we were going to do this, but almost kind of like skeptical uh, in some ways. And so I'm just sitting there listening and, and I'm kind of like battling in my head, right? Like what is just me coming up with stuff out of the blue and what's like the Holy Spirit and and so I, I, as I'm sitting there with this piece of paper, I wrote down like wheelchair and, and then slash like disability, which I thought at the time, I thought, what are the chances that I'm just going to come across somebody in a wheelchair? So I think maybe I was like limiting my options, right? Like, <laughs> and, and then I wrote down elderly woman. That's all I got. I didn't get a name. I didn't, that's just kind of what came into my imagination. And so uh, just down the street from the, the ministry center is um, the Hmong market, and in the Twin Cities is the largest population of Hmong people outside of Southeast Asia, and so we go into this market, and the kids are coming in. There's a, a big building to the right, and there's um, uh, all these booths and stuff, and most of the kids go in there, and so I just think, well, I'm going to I'll go and walk a different direction since it seems like a lot of people that went that way, and I walk in the very first open air tent that I walked to, there's um, somebody sitting in a wheelchair. And, but it wasn't an elderly woman. <laughs> so I thought, well, that's not, that's not right, right? Uh, so I walk on by and then I think, you know what? I need to just go back and, and try to start up a conversation. So I go back in there and I just ask his name and we just start talking. He's 25 years old and and he's uh, got a um, disability that, with his nerves that is degenerative. And so it's, it's an escalating situation. We were, we we're just talking about his business and the work they're doing. And, and I say, hey, man, this might sound completely weird to you, but I'm wondering if it would be okay if I just prayed with you. Would you be open to that? And he said, actually, I would love it. He said, that would be great. His name was New. He said, do you mind if I get my mom? I was like, okay, yeah. <laughs> Out comes this elderly woman um, <laughs> and stands next to her son. And she said, this is actually one of three of my, my boys who have disabilities. And she said, if you could just pray that God would provide. And so here we are in this open air market in this tent. I'm laying hands on two people that I've just met for the first time. And, and, 
But I went into it with such a sense of, of resonance, of, of resistance, of like, boy, this is, this is a little outside of my comfort zone. Like, is God going to work in this way? Is he going to move in this way? And, and, and then you look across the landscape and you see different students, like, laying hands on complete strangers, like freshmen in high school, just praying with people. And, and I thought, man, what, what an amazing thing God did. Now imagine for a moment, if you will, that you live in the desert. You're stationed between the Tigris River and the Euphrates. You're 200 miles away from any sizable body of water. And God comes to you in clear voice and says, I want you to construct a gigantic boat. How are you feeling about that, right? In that moment. As you know, this summer we're in a series entitled By Faith. We're exploring these men and women who are given to us in Hebrews chapter, chapter 11 as examples of those who lived by faith. And we're looking at who these people are, both as a sense of encouragement for us, but also, I think, as the author intended, as a, a sense of instruction of what does it look like for you and I to trust God so deeply and completely that we offer up our entire lives in faithful obedience to him. You'll remember that we, we started this series, and I don't, I don't have this on the screen, but we, at the very beginning of Hebrews 11, there's a, a definition that we get of faith, and he says, now faith is the reality of what is hoped for. I'm reading from the CSB here. The proof, other, other translations say evidence, um, assurance, the proof of what is not seen kind of in layman's terms, we've been talking about this definition of faith as living as if God is telling you the truth. Faith means living as if God is telling you the truth. And so today we're looking at the example of Noah, and Noah is a story that many of us are familiar with, um, even so, so, sometimes so familiar with that it's kind of like, okay, I know this one, like we might even mentally check out a little bit, but to help us kind of get refreshed on the story, we actually this week discovered in the video archives of Chapel Street. This is like circa 2004-ish. Some of you might recognize some people in here. This is a video that was made of, of some of our kids telling the Noah story, so they'll, they'll refresh it for us. It's where all these other people were being mean to others and then God said to Noah's, Noah, and he said that he's gonna bring a flood. So. Noah's um, kids, they chopped down trees, and then they started building a boat. Two pilots, a boring girl, two elephants, a boring girl, and we bring everybody to the vault and and. They, get, they had a storm 66 days, 66 nights. All the mean people said, help us, Noah, get us on our, your boat. And then he, Noah just ignored them. Why did the ants go in an apple to Noah's ark? Because everyone else went in pairs. <laughs> Noah sent out a bird. The bird came back with nothing. Then the next day, Noah sent out, um, sent out the bird. He 
the bird um, found a way the next day. Um, but the bird go and he never came back because he found dry land. And then they got out and Noah made an art altar and then God made a rainbow to promise that he would never flood the earth again with water. When he promised everybody they won't have any more floods ever. And that promise was to keep. That promise was keeped. <laughs> I, uh, um, those kids are like 30 years old now. It's, <laughs> um, you know, it's a story, that, again, like even culturally, that, that we have like a, a familiarity with. It oftentimes kind of makes its way into our children's Bibles, and there's a, a happy little boat, and there's some smiling animals, and there's a rainbow, but there's... There's very little sort of recognition that this is an act of, of divine judgment on sin. There's, sometimes we kind of skip over the really hard parts of this story. And, and maybe sometimes we even miss that, that Noah is, is acting and living out this incredible expression of faith. That, that to anybody, to any onlooker who's noticing, who's paying any attention at all, it had to appear as crazy. Like, what are they doing? And why would you do this? Noah's constructing a... a ark in the middle of the desert. And so I want us to look at what Hebrews 11 says, and then we're going to kind of jump back and forth between Hebrews 11 and, and Genesis um, chapter 6 and following. So this is, I'm actually going to read verse 6 and 7. Verse 6 uh, doesn't reference Noah, but you'll see why. It says, now without faith, it's impossible to please God. Since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists, and then he rewards those who seek him. And he says, by faith, Noah, after he was warned about what he had was, was not yet seen, and motivated by godly fear, built an ark to deliver his family. By faith, he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. The example of Noah in, in Hebrews is the first time that we see someone where God has spoken this very clear, specific set of instructions to him. And Noah responds despite what's all around him in, in obedience. And this is really what, what us, I want to explore together today. And I think at the heart of this, the heart of understanding Noah is understanding a phrase that's used of him in Genesis that describes him as a person who walked by faith. Somebody who walked by faith. The reason that I included verse 6 uh, before I, I read that section about Noah is that I think it offers insight into understanding the type of faith that describes both Enoch, who is talked about in verse 5 that we skipped over, and then Noah in verse 7. And that is simply a, a what where their faith is rooted, where it's stems from is this deep, personal, relational intimacy with God. So they stand out as examples of those who have drawn near to him. They stand out as those who seek him. So in order to understand the depth of their faith, in order to understand what makes that possible, what empowers that kind of faith, we have to understand the type of relationship that they had with their God. 
when we were in the Twin Cities, we were talking about this. Our, our theme that week was um, reckless, uh, love recklessly. And we're talking about how do, I, how do I recklessly love my classmate? How do I recklessly love my neighbor? How do I recklessly love my family and my friends? What, what makes that possible? And said, in order for us to love recklessly, we have to understand that we are recklessly loved. In other words, if, if I'm not grounded in the sense of how much God loves me, my capacity to love others will be severely limited. And I think we see something unfolding similarly here. That we see the type of relationship that, that Moses had with God, and it is that relationship that empowers his faith. So flip with me over to Genesis chapter 6. You can kind of keep a hand in Hebrews. We're going to jump back and forth a little bit, but I want to just kind of set the scene a little bit here. This is Genesis chapter 6, beginning in verse 5. He says, when the Lord saw that human wickedness was widespread on the earth and that every inclination of the human mind was nothing but evil all the time, the Lord regretted that he had made man on earth and he was deeply grieved. Then the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I created off the face of the earth together with the animals, creatures that crawl and birds of the sky, for I regret that I made them. Verse 8. Noah, however, found favor with the Lord. These are the family records of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among his contemporaries. Noah walked with God. So there's this, this there's two things here that emerge in this. And I, we have to acknowledge this is hard to read. Even that, that wording there where it says that God regretted making, it's like, what did we do with that? I tried to research that, that, that Hebrew word and to understand that. And one scholar said, almost think of this as like um, the feeling that a parent gets when they watch their child make self-destructive decisions. And again, it's not that your regret, it's, it's not, your love for them is not less. You're regretting, you're grieving the pain that they're experiencing as a result of, of their decisions. So here in this text, we see this contrast. There's the moral kind of climate environment that's, that's pervasive in the time of Noah. And there's this relationship that Noah has with God. And again, like my, my theological approach to Genesis chapter 6 through 9 is I view these as, as historical activities. So this isn't, it's not mythology. It's not a fable that's meant to taught us something in my view. It's not legend. We can debate, there's all kinds of debates about whether it was local, global, all these different things. And again, that's, in my mind, not necessarily the point. The early chapters of Genesis describe God's design. It talks about his intention for us in creation. And we see all, all that in Genesis chapter 3 gets messed up when, when humanity, um, when, when humanity it rebels essentially against God and against that design. And within a single generation, as we talked about last week, this brokenness has elevated to the point that, that the sibling rivalry between Cain and Abel has, has peaked to the point where there's murder, there's bloodshed. What follows that is then two sort of divergent trajectories. We see the line of Cain continue. And in that line, we see the same things that described 
Cain's approach to life in the world continued to develop and emerge, deciding for themselves what is good and what is evil. Alongside of that, you see the line of Seth. And in the line of Seth, that's Cain and Abel's brother, you see those who are trying to live in relationship with, with Yahweh, with their God. They want to live according to his will, and they're doing so imperfectly. They're still, they're still dealing with the impact of sin, but they recognize and acknowledge that God has a will and a desire. And so the chaos and the corruption of Cain's line, this continues to grow and elevate. And the faithfulness in the line of Seth continues to dwindle to the point where, where only Noah remains. You know how sometimes we look at the world around us and we see what's going on and we think to ourselves, things have never been worse. They've been worse. It says human wickedness was widespread on the earth and every inclination of the human mind was nothing but evil all the time. So God is grieving this brokenness and as he promised he would, he, he's, he will pronounce judgment on sin. But then in the backdrop, verse 8, Noah, however, found favor with the Lord. So there's this, this culture that's just totally devoid of any acknowledgement, any respect of, of, of God, of his will. And then there's Noah, who's described as a righteous man, who's blameless among his contemporaries. And it says, Noah walked with God. So Noah stands this figure stands in stark contrast to the culture that surrounds him. The phrase walked with God is only ever used of Noah and, and Enoch here in Genesis. It expresses the, the type of relationship that Noah enjoyed and experienced with his God. It's intended in our ears to kind of echo back to that experience in the garden when Adam and Eve are there in the midst of the presence of God. And again, Noah's not perfect. He's not sinless. But, but his desire is to walk along in accordance with God, to have this deep relationship with him. Notice in, in Hebrews, it says that Noah's faith, it was motivated by what uh, the CSB calls godly fear. The ESV calls it a, a reverent fear. Noah knew God enough to know that he wanted to take him seriously to know that he wanted to respond in obedience to him. See, Noah's faith, it's, it's empowered, it's, it's fueled by the type of relationship he experienced with God. In fact, I think that, that is oftentimes the case, that faith isn't something that you and I just muster up out of the power of our own will. It's, it's not something that we just kind of grit our teeth and produce in us. It's the result of a growing and deepening relationship with our God. It's because of Noah's relationship with God that, that we see the, the faith that results. So when God comes to Noah and, and asks him to do something extraordinary, ask him to do something that, and, and from any human perspective, made no sense at all, Noah responds in obedience, and, and then he begins the work. Because he walked by faith, then he begins to work by faith. Like, if you're anything like me, I, I, I'm the kind of person that enjoys immediate results, right? Like, I'm, I'm in the, uh, the microwave generation, meaning it was, I remember when my parents first got a microwave. And I'll tell you, it was a game changer. 
Like when I was a kid and I wanted a, a cup of hot chocolate, like my mom had to go to the stove and warm up the chocolate and slowly add the ingredients so it didn't burn. I mean, it was like a 10 to 15 minute process. And then the microwave came, okay? You just boop, 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 and that hot chocolate was ready in like two minutes. I'm dumping Nestle Quick in there and stirring that in. And it was fantastic. Like everything changes. Like we, we live in this world of instant results. That's, that's how we expect things to happen. Again, look at, at Hebrews chapter 11. Notice what it says here. It says, by faith, Noah, after he was warned about what was not yet seen, motivated by godly fear. So he's, he's starting to act in faithful obedience, not yet sure of when and how and what God is going to do. He doesn't have all the information. In fact, if you go back to, to Genesis chapter 6, you see that God starts to give him these instructions on how to build this gigantic boat. And, and he says, I want it to be uh, 70, no, 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet high. I, I want you to build an ark, which the Hebrew word that's translated ark it, it literally means a wooden box. And it's most commonly used in reference to a casket. I want you to build a gigantic floating casket. And, and you're going to do so out here in the middle of the desert. And then look what it says. After God gives him all these instructions, he tells you, I'm going to send you two of every living thing, from the birds according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds, and from the animals that crawl on the ground according to their kinds. He says, you take with you every kind of food that is eaten, gather it as food for you and for them. Now look in verse 22 here. Genesis chapter 6, verse 22. And Noah did this. He did everything that God had commanded him. And then the Lord said to Noah, enter the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you alone are righteous before me in this generation. And Noah did this. He did everything that God had commanded him. The apostle James, and we're going to refer to this, I think, multiple times in this series. In James chapter 2, when James is talking about faith, he said, faith is made evident in action. So no matter how crazy all of this had to sound to Noah and to his family, Noah gets to work building a boat. So we've seen now that, that Noah's faith, it's, it's, it's a countercultural faith. Right? He, he was in many ways living out his faith alone and in isolation. We've seen that his faith produced in him obedience. That Noah did in fact live as if God was telling him the truth. That he was motivated by godly fear. And now Noah puts on display an enduring faith. He models to us a lasting faith. Scholars believe that, that it took anywhere between 80 to 100 years for Noah to complete the work of building the ark. That, that for 80 to 100 years, that he's out in the middle of the desert building a gigantic wooden box with no sense of anyone around him having an idea of what he's doing, being mocked by every friend or neighbor or anybody that walked by. And he did so because he was warned about what was not yet seen. Noah worked and he prepared because he believed 
what God had told him was true. And he was in it for the long haul. And I really, I want you to hear me on this because I really think that this is a prerequisite for our discipleship. Eugene Peterson wrote a book that's entitled A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And I think we're seeing this modeled by by Noah here. Noah, Noah exemplifies in extraordinary circumstances this idea of an enduring faith. He worked by faith because he believed what God had told him what was coming was true. There's a, um, many of you, some of you may know the story of Adoniram Judson. If, if any Judson graduates here, nobody, a couple of you, okay. Um, you're probably familiar, Adoniram Judson was a missionary in like the mid-1800s and felt called to Burma, um, which is now Myanmar, and at the time, um, Burma was completely unreached and very hostile to, to missionaries and to the gospel. And William Carey, who was a famous missionary in India, in India at the time, told Adoniram Judson, don't go to Burma. Like, that's crazy. And, and yet they felt like that was his call in his life. So he, he moves him and his wife, move to, to Burma, and he's there for 38 years. Over the course of those 38 years, he only went back to England one time. And over the course of that 38 years, he never saw one single convert come to faith in Jesus. Not a single person who, who seemed to hear what the message he was proclaiming and, and respond in faith. And when Adoniram Judson died at 61, as far as he had known from a human perspective, it had been a waste. And yet, if you study church history in Burma and, and Myanmar, you understand that the Christian church that exists there today, after Adoniram's death, there began to be an explosion of the gospel. That he had planted all of these seeds and he'd been faithful to what God had called to do and he had a long obedience in the same direction. It was an enduring faith. And, and God multiplied that effort and he never lived to see it. But in eternity, he's introduced all kinds of people that are the fruit of his labor. Mo, uh, Noah models this to us. I know many of you who have prayed for sons or daughters, parents, loved ones, husbands or wives for years and years and years on end, waiting for God to do something in their heart and their life. And I'm telling you, I don't, I don't know how all those stories are un- going to unfold, but your faith is not in vain. Continue to, to have an enduring faith. And then real quickly here, uh, Noah serves to us as a, a witness of faith. He serves as a witness of faith. Um, I'll skip reading Hebrews 11 again because I've read it a few times now, but the Apostle Peter refers to Noah in 1 Peter chapter 2. He, he talks about Peter as a preacher of righteousness. Hebrews calls him an heir of righteousness. And so how are we to understand the flood narrative? How are we to talk about and understand the faith of Noah and the implications of that for us? Because it's easy to look at this story in the Old Testament and think God is cruel and he's unfair or he's acting unjustly. And of course, we know that God can never act outside of his character, that he must always act with justice without exception. 
See, this story, Noah's faith is ultimately a faith resulting in salvation. In fact, Jesus makes this point when, when, because Jesus, referring to a future day of judgment, when he will return and he is going to set wrong things right here on earth, he's going to recreate. We talk about this as the second coming, right? Jesus makes this same point in, in the gospel of Matthew. He says this in Matthew chapter 24, verse 36. He says, now concerning that day and hour, no one knows. So he's talking about this second coming. When, and he says, neither the angels of heaven nor the son, except the father alone. He says, as the days of Noah were, so the coming of the son of man will be. For in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah boarded the ark. And they didn't know until the flood came and swept them all away. This is the way the coming of the Son of Man will be. In other words, Jesus is saying, I, I have provided a way for you to be ready. I have provided a way out. So, so be prepared. Don't be caught off guard. Noah's faith for us is meant to serve as a warning and as a witness. The construction of the ark was this tangible, unavoidable warning that God would not allow humanity's rebellion and corruption and evil to go unchecked. It was a call to repent and to return to God. And for Noah and his family, it was their salvation. By faith, Noah and his family were covered from the rain and protected from the flood. And God has done the same for us in Jesus. But he is our ark. He is our covering. And the faith of, of Noah, it's, it's, it's an example, it's a model for us. Even when it runs completely contrary to our culture, even when it requires endurance, a, a long obedience in the same direction, placing our faith in the one who is our salvation because in Christ we too become heirs of righteousness, heirs of righteousness and, and a witness of faith. The end of the story, God, and that's part of what I love about this Hebrews 11 series, is in the end of the story, God establishes a covenant with Noah. We see this salvation plan that he is unfolding begin to, to continue to progress as God is moving towards providing himself as the means to be our covering and our salvation. And we experience that when we place our faith in him. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you for this time and we thank you for the opportunity to be together. We thank you for these examples of faith and the, what we learn by them and, and how we grow in them and what that means to us. And Jesus, we pray that you would continue to, um, to produce in us a faith that stands because of a deep personal relationship with you a faith that responds in obedience, and a faith that endures for the long haul. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me to receive this morning's benediction? If we can be praying with you today, uh, it's an honor and a privilege to do that. Um, our prayer team is available. I am available. You're always welcome to find one of us. Uh, if you came prepared to give this morning, our generosity boxes are, are by the side doors. We invite you to to do that there. And we're so grateful for all the ways that you partner with us. Um, and now receive this morning's benediction. Go in the name of Jesus Christ.
the one who is our covering. He is our atonement, our ark. And our faith in him is what provides for our salvation. It's in your name we pray. Amen.